the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I've had people question me about why, why do I preach repentance and why do I say things about mourning over your sin and things like that. Um, I'm always troubled when people say that because I wonder if they've ever really understood the gospel. But if you were to look at it, just from a logical standpoint, it makes sense. Why would you want a savior from sin if you wanted to continue living in sin? Why would you want Jesus to save you from your sin if you just want to continue living the the same way you've been living? I mean, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is because you really don't want him to be a savior from sin. You just want a free ticket to heaven, but you don't want to meet the demands of repentance and, and following Christ as Lord and Master. That's why. But that's often what people will say. Some people call the message of salvation without repentance easy believism. Those who disagree often argue that if we need to repent as part of being saved, that is a work and is not salvation by grace alone. So how is repentance related to salvation? In our next few classes here on Verse by Verse, we will consider what the Bible says about that. We will read the words of John the Baptist, the apostles Peter and Paul, as well as Jesus himself. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside since 1981. These daily broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We have been learning about the Sermon on the Mount, and we are getting close to the conclusion, but there is still plenty of rich content left to unpack from this sermon. In the last class, Pastor Steve began to teach from Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Because the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That is a pretty exclusive claim, but Peter was even more explicit about the uniqueness of the gospel when he said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is a good reason for this, and now here is Pastor Steve to explain it. Now, many people find the exclusiveness of the gospel quite disturbing. They object to it when we say that that the way to God is so narrow that there is only one way. And they would say, why? Why? Why don't all roads lead to God? After all, in the ancient world, all roads supposedly led to Rome. Why? Why? Don't all roads lead to heaven? Why don't all roads lead to God? Why, why is it that you say that your belief in Christ is the only way? Why not all the other religions? Could they possibly be wrong? Well, what does scripture say? Why is the gospel so restrictive? Why is it so narrow? 
because God, who sets the rules, and God, who has established the way that people enter into a relationship with him, has revealed in his word that it is our sins that have separated us from him. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, the reason that we are alienated from God, the reason that we are his enemies, is because we are sinners. We are sinners. And since God is perfectly holy and just and righteous, his holiness prevents him from having fellowship with those who have sin on their record. He says in his word, he is of pure eyes than to even look upon iniquity with any kind of favor. He can't have fellowship with us as long as sin is on our our record. And that's where the death of Jesus Christ comes in. What Christ has done for us is he he has paid for those sins. The death of Christ has accomplished the great work of redemption. He paid the full penalty of our sins. And those who come to him in repentance and faith have their sins not only forgiven by God, but God actually takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he kept all the law that we haven't kept. And God puts his righteousness on our account. That's called imputed righteousness. It means that God credits your account with Christ's righteousness. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous in and of ourselves. But God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ for those who have repented and trusted him. You see, this is the reason that entrance into into salvation is so narrow and so exclusive because only Jesus Christ solved our sin problem. How could religion solve our sin problem? How could going to church or any, any religious organization building do anything to deal with our sins? How could our good deeds atone for our sins? How could, how could baptism atone for our sins? How could, how could trying to live by the golden rule or keeping or trying to keep the Ten Commandments, how could, that, how could that give us righteousness? All it would do is show us that we haven't kept that. How could, how could any of that do that? How could a, a religious system that doesn't address atonement deal with this? You see, Jesus is the only one qualified to pay for our sins because not only is he a real man, the man Christ Jesus, but he is also the eternal God, the second person of the triune Godhead, and therefore he is the only one capable of paying the eternal price for our sins. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was paying the eternal price for our sins. And as I said, not only when you trust him, not only are you forgiven, of all of your sins, past, present, and future, but God credits the righteousness of of Jesus Christ to our eternal account. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is to say that on the cross, God the Father treated Christ as if he was a sinner. And when we trust him, God the Father treats us as if we are righteous. Jesus wasn't a sinner, but treated as one. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're not righteous, but God treats us as righteous. That's, that's imputed righteousness. Folks, that's the gospel. That's why it's so narrow. There is only one way. There is only one person who, who is qualified to deal with our sins and who did deal 
with our sins. That's the real issue. And so the gate into, into God's kingdom is narrow and Christ commands us to enter it if we would be saved. Now I want to stop here for a few minutes and consider some rather important truths and implications of this command to enter into this narrow or through this narrow gate. First of all, we need to recognize that in commanding us to enter through the narrow gate, Jesus is specifically speaking to a certain kind of person, a certain kind of individual. Although this would apply to all unbelievers, in context, he is addressing his words to those who heard the Sermon on the Mount but had not yet committed themselves to embracing him as their king. And I think that's a very important observation to make because there are many people down through the centuries who have admired the Sermon on the Mount. The principles of the sermon, they say, are the finest in the world. This is the finest sermon ever given, containing the highest standards of morality and ethics ever taught. Gandhi, by the way, believed that. A great admirer of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, but that's as far as it went with him, and that's as far as it goes with with many people. They stand outside the entrance of his kingdom, and they may admire him, and they may praise the Sermon on the Mount, but they refuse to enter the narrow gate, which means they refuse to receive Jesus Christ as King and Savior. Now, the question is why? Why? They know the truth. They've heard the truth. I mean, it's the same question that people who, who attend here, and I know there are people who attend in both services week after week who have never trusted Christ. Some have been coming here for years, never trusted Christ. Why? Why is that? Well, the answer is, is really quite simple. It lies in the fact that this gate is a narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. See, the implication of the gate of salvation being narrow and small is that this gate is is so narrow and so restricted that there isn't room for us to enter it while carrying the baggage of our sin. One person can barely get through this gate one at a time, let alone carry anything. So in order to go through this gate, we have to leave our sin behind. You can't take it with you especially the sins of pride and and self-rule and self-righteousness, which are at the the heart and root of all other sins. Here's how D. Martin Lloyd-Jones explained the narrowness of this kingdom's gate. He said, we're told at the very outset of this way of life, before we start on it, that if we would walk along, along it, there are certain things which must be left outside. There is no room for them because we have to start by passing through a straight and narrow gate. I like to think of it, he wrote, as a turnstile. It's just like a turnstile that admits one person at a time and no more. And it is so narrow that there are certain things which you simply cannot take through with you. It is exclusive from the very beginning. In other words, what he's saying is that this gate is so narrow and its narrowness demands repentance. Repentance. This means that no one can enter the kingdom without first turning away from what they are aware of is sin. Now, when the Lord begins to work in our hearts and showing us our sin, I I don't believe he shows us all of our sin. I think we'd have heart attacks right then and there. But whatever we're aware of is sin, and that usually begins with the attitudes of pride and self-focus and self-absorption and self-righteousness and living as our own master and our own king in our lives. All of that has to be turned away from. Now, we struggle with it, even as believers, but we have to turn away from it. We have to have have a desire to put it off as prerequisite to entering into the narrow gate. As one Bible teacher put it, at the entrance of that straight gate, there is a notice that says, leave yourself outside. 
Leave yourself outside. That's exactly what takes place when we come to Christ for salvation. You see, you come to Christ for salvation because God has brought you to a place in your life where not only do you see your sin for what it is, but you hate it. You, you no longer want to continue in the way that you've been living. Now, as I said, you're not aware of everything, but what you are aware of, and you're aware of the big things, you hate it. You don't want to continue that way. And that's why Jesus defined the character of true disciples in the Beatitudes. He said, as those who mourn, we mourn over our sin. We're brokenhearted. We grieve over our sin. We see it for what it is, and it, it deeply bothers us. And in mourning over our sin, we, we hate it, and we turn away from it. And you know what? When you think about it, that only makes sense. As we near the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has come full circle. He began by telling us that those who are poor in spirit are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before we can trust Christ for salvation, God must bring us to the point where we are actually aware of our spiritual bankruptcy. To enter the kingdom, we need to pass through the narrow gate, and that forces us to leave behind a lot of baggage. As we are learning, that means we need to repent. You are listening to Verse by Verse, and we'll get back to our lesson from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 in just a moment. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our teacher in this extended series of lessons about the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the air are an extension of his pulpit ministry. Many evangelical Christians are reluctant to talk about repentance. Yet Jesus talked about it a great deal. So did John the Baptist, Peter, and Paul. Let's return now to our class and continue to examine how repentance and salvation are impossible to separate. I've had people question me about why, why do I preach repentance and why do I say things about mourning over your sin and things like that. Um, I'm always troubled when people say that because I wonder if they've ever really understood the gospel. But if you were to look at it, just from a logical standpoint, it makes sense. Why would you want a savior from sin if you wanted to continue living in sin? Why would you want Jesus to save you from your sin if you just want to continue living the, the same way you've been living? I mean, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is because you really don't want him to be a savior from sin. You just want a free ticket to heaven, but you don't want to meet the demands of repentance and, and following Christ as Lord and master. That's why. But that's often what people will say. See, it just doesn't make sense. Why would you want to continue in sin and if you have a savior from sin? You want that. You should want that because you don't want to continue that way. This is why both John the Baptist and, and Jesus, at the inauguration of the kingdom, they both said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, repentance cannot be separated from faith in Christ. It's all part of the same package. It is the work of God. It's not a merit of ourselves. It's not something we muster up. As God grants us faith to believe the gospel, and that's how we have faith, he grants it to us. He also grants us repentance to turn from our sin. And I want you to notice something very important about how the Bible defines repentance. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 26, you'll see that in the Apostle Paul's defense before King Agrippa, Paul actually defines for us repentance and, and what it means and what he understood by it and, and why it was a part of his message. Notice Acts 26 
beginning in verse 19, Paul said, so King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedience to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Dam- of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea that, and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now, here Paul mentions that when he preached to both Jewish people and Gentile people, he proclaimed repentance. They needed to repent and turn to God. But Where does that define repentance? Well, he doesn't actually define it there, but he does define it in the verse before. And that's why I wanted you to read verses 19 and 20 to see that he mentioned repentance. That was part of his message. But what did it mean? Verse 18 explains Paul's understanding of repentance. He said to open their eyes. This is what he preached so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Now, in this verse, Paul spoke of repentance. Here's what he said. It's turning from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. In other words, repentance involves a definite turning away from our sins. No longer are we walking according to the course of the prince of darkness, who is Satan. Now we have turned from that. We've turned from the darkness to light. We've turned from Satan to God. And so as we turn away from from everything we're aware of is wrong in our lives, we turn to Christ for salvation. That's why I said it's part of the same work of grace. You turn away to Christ. You turn away from your sin to Jesus Christ. That's why when Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica, he said in chapter 1 verse 9 that he knew that their salvation was real because he said you turn to God from idols. They knew they were idolaters. They turned to God from idols to serve a living and a true God. They did not continue their old way of life, which was idolatry. And all that went with idolatry, it doesn't just mean they had a change of mind. Oh, we see now that these idols are wrong, we'll turn. It meant all of the sexual immorality. It meant all the wicked practices. Everything that idolatry involved in the ancient world, Paul said, you turned away and you turned to the living and true God. Now, it's important to understand that this narrowness of salvation begins with repentance. And that very issue of repentance and the narrowness is is the very thing that deters many people from entering into Christ's kingdom. Why? Because they love their sin. They're not ready to leave it at the gate. They want to take it with them, and they can't. If you come to Christ, you come to Christ on his terms, not on our own. Jesus said it best in John chapter 3. Most of us are very familiar with John 3.16, but shortly after that, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus said this, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, meaning he has come into the world, and men love the darkness, meaning they love their sins, rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You know why people don't go through the narrow gate? Because they don't want their deeds exposed. They want to continue in their deeds. See, until you're ready to turn away from your sin, especially the sin of running your own life and being your own king, you'll never enter the narrow gate of salvation because you never want Christ to be king over you. So man in scripture that Luke refers to him as the rich young ruler who illustrates how loving sin prevents a man from entering Christ's kingdom. We'll look at the story as Jesus gave it in Matthew 
chapter 19, although it is in some other gospel accounts, Matthew 19 talks of this rich young ruler. It doesn't call him that, but that's who this is a reference to. He was a ruler of some sort, some kind of administrator. He was relatively young, and he was a wealthy guy. And so he's called the rich young ruler. We're not told his, his proper name, but we're given his description of him. Beginning at verse 16, Jesus said, And someone came to him, or Matthew tells us, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, right away here, you you know that the guy is thinking that there must be something more. It's something I can do. So there's a a self-righteousness there. He's looking to do something. What can he add to his life? He doesn't understand the grace of God. So Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who's good. But if you wish to enter into life, Keep the commandments. Now, that's very interesting. We would not say that to somebody, thinking that they might, they might think that you have to keep the commandments to be saved. But Jesus said it in order to show this man that he did not keep the commandments. He was putting the law in front of him, saying, take a good look at the law and you'll see that you've fallen short of it. Because this, this guy was self-righteous. That was his problem. And so we read verse 18. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus knew this man had not kept this, but this man didn't think that. This man was self-righteous. And so look at verse 20. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? And instead of Jesus looking at him and saying, you're a liar, and we both know it. He didn't say that. He, he approached it from another angle to show him his sin of covetousness and idolatry. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Now, why did our Lord say that? I mean, we, we wouldn't say to somebody, if you... Um, want to be saved, give away all your money. That's not a prerequisite for salvation. No, but, but repentance for sin is. And this was the man's glaring sin. This man needed to recognize and repent of his sin of loving money and making it his God. See, he already had a God. Jesus is not going to let him add to this man's deity pooling himself. He already had a God. By telling him to sell his possessions and give it to the poor, the Lord was just exposing his sin of financial idolatry. He was demanding that he forsake money as king of his life before he could follow him as king. It's just brilliant. But we're told, sadly enough, sadly enough, this man did not repent. Verse 22 says, but when the man heard, the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. This man didn't do what Jesus said because like everyone who refuses to come to Christ for salvation, this man let his love for his sin keep him out of the kingdom. How tragic. Today in hell, this man regrets it. Sadly, this very same love of sin is what keeps most people out of the kingdom. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
His practical messages come to you through this radio station and the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of listeners like you. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. At the website, you can listen to today's broadcast or any of the numerous classes on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to hear Pastor Steve's entire message, Entrance into the Kingdom, Part 1, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during regular office hours so that you can order a CD or a cassette. Our number again is 727-441-1714. If we are smart, we make sure to take roads that lead to our intended destination and not someplace we don't want to go. A road may be very attractive, but if it leads to a cliff, perhaps we should consider an alternative route. Jesus offers us a clear choice of two ways that we can go, and He is quite clear about where they will lead. Please join us for the next Verse by Verse, and we will continue learning about the narrow gate and the wide gate. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.